from India's largest newsroom, I'm Arun George, and this is the Times of India podcast. or the call to prayer from mosques being broadcast over loudspeakers in uttar pradesh the removal of these devices has been far less biased and implemented across all religious sites while political leaders seem to have suddenly discovered the issue of noise pollution sumera abdullali has been battling against the cacophony for years google her and you're most likely to find an image of her grimly displaying a noise meter that shows just how loud it is in the area where she's standing She's been fighting against blaring loudspeakers in temples, mosques, and public events in Mumbai, a city that prides itself on never sleeping or falling silent. She's gone to court to make authorities make things quieter and has responded to calls from across the city to silence things. But in spite of decades of work against noise, she's no fan of how political parties are going about it presently. Speaking from her Mumbai home, Sumera talked about her journey against noise pollution. the lessons she's learned and why the battle against noise shouldn't discriminate i started by asking her how she took up the cause of noise pollution my uncle was working on noise pollution at the time he was disturbed by a marriage hall near his house and uh, i had very young children and i wanted something to do part time like uh, i think many young mothers do and so i volunteered to help him I wasn't completely committed when I started it was more like just a part-time occupation but I became committed as I realized uh what really noise pollution was I had known that my uncle was very bothered by it but I had not had personal experience too much when I started getting calls from people and realized uh how much they were suffering so people think that you can only take up issues if you had some deep trauma yourself but i don't think that's true did she get any encouragement from people as she took up a cause that didn't seem to be on top of anyone's mind no people laughed at me and uh, the people who didn't laugh at me just told me i was wasting my time and uh, there were many better uh, issues especially in india where there's so much to to do you know to help others so it was hard in the beginning but i mean i think two things kept me going one was as i said that i kept getting feedback from people so i knew that it wasn't that insignificant an issue the other thing was that i really had not much to lose because i was not expecting any kind of personal gain or return or um success or anything of the kind i was just doing it because I found myself in that position where it seemed uh somehow that it's the thing to do so I kept doing it and many times it happened that I wanted to say that you know I'm not this is really not working <laughs> and I I should 
really stop now and do something else. But again, it was people who kept me going. We are in a situation where suddenly noise has become a big issue. But that wasn't completely planned either. Something or the other kept happening. And I kept feeling pushed in one way or the other that I can't give it up. People used to say that noise is an elitist issue and you're just taking it up because you have nothing better to do with your time, you know, and uh, stuff like that. But when I started getting calls from people who really told me what was happening to them, um, and they were across the board, they were definitely not elitist because I was shocked at the number of calls I got from slum dwellers or from people living in places where they couldn't protect themselves from noise and what their experiences were. There is not a day that has passed when I have not received at least one call, even when I'm on holiday. So sometimes it happens that people get upset with me because I can't answer every single call. I used to try and be very diligent about returning calls, but after getting a volume of kind of prank calls and junk calls and all those, it's difficult to return calls from unknown numbers when there are that many of them. But I do my best. And as I say, they have kept me going. So I'm grateful to them, even if sometimes it's mm-hmm. been a bit too much you know, to handle. Sumera says her first victory against noise came through a public interest litigation in the Bombay High Court in 2003. She credits her uncle for getting the petition filed. Yes, the same uncle who was suffering thanks to the wedding hall near his house. Except that the hall had started creating a ruckus till midnight nearly daily. Sumera says her uncle gave her the first ever noise meter she held to record sound levels and she began to meticulously gather data for the petition. Sumera says the petition resulted in the first court order demarcating silent zones like schools and hospitals. But she quickly realised that a court order doesn't always mean things change on the ground. Then I realised that nothing is going to happen unless this thing is followed through and checked because in those days I didn't know much about the courts or how court orders function or anything else and I'm not a lawyer. But I realised that it's my job somehow now to make sure that these silent zones really don't use loudspeakers. So... Somehow or the other, I met Swati Deshpande and uh, she published my number on the front page of the Times of India at that time. And that was my mobile number. It was the first mobile phone I had ever had. So um, I knew that things are going to be not so easy for me after that, but I could not have imagined how many calls I received. And of course, it was impossible to handle. And people would cry on the phone. People just didn't know what to do. Nobody ever expected that I'll be able to actually help them. I don't think any of the people who called really believed that. But at least they wanted someone to talk to who would tell them that it's okay. You're not crazy because you're so disturbed by noise. Because at that time, that was the thing that, come on now, bear up. Why are you so sensitive? Why are you the one who's always, everybody is enjoying, only you are making a fuss. So that was what people believed. And those were the cases which motivated me to realize that it's not enough to just do some paperwork and get a good court order. (laughs) How hard is it to translate that on the ground? Of course, you have to work very hard to get the court order in the first place. But after that, once you get the court order, you realize how much 
resistance there is to implement. If there was no resistance, there would be no need for a court order. It would happen because it was anyway the thing that people wanted to do. So you're swimming against the tide and you're trying to change behavioral patterns of ordinary people, of uh, governments, of enforcement authorities, of people who strongly believe that what they're saying is right and this is the only way to do things. And in their own way, they are right because it's the way they know, the way they've been doing it for ever since they can remember and they can't imagine why you would, someone would want to change. So they conjecture why that would be. And it takes a long time to change that pattern. I mean, that's the nature of any kind of societal change, right? Any kind of movement or reform, it doesn't happen overnight. Where do we stand with norms currently and how efficient are they? Well, WHO has revised its norm downwards because it says the norms that we had then were too high and they were still harmful to people. And uh, they have also come up with numerous studies quantifying that harm in terms of health effects. But we are still in the discussion of whether these norms can be met in India at all because we just generally are a noisy country. And that has been proved again by the fact that various reports show that the noisiest city in the world is in India, Muzaffarnagar. And uh, there are the other major Indian cities, including Mumbai, Delhi, and all our cities, are way up there in the highest lists of noise. So we are still trying to catch up with the old guidelines of, of WHO. And um, whether we succeed or not, is very regional. I think in Mumbai, we have succeeded to a very large extent in some ways, but in other ways, we have not succeeded at all. So in COVID-19, it was very clear that Mumbai was a city which had understood after all these 20 years, that health is a good reason to restrict the way we conduct certain activities. And as a result of the, the education of such a large population, we followed the norms of COVID-19 and restricted voluntarily our celebrations. I think that uh, we are catching up in some ways. We have caught up beyond my wildest expectations and others, but the other sources of noise like construction and this kind of political discourse, which is very opportunistic, you know, um, have made this, the overall noise levels, unfortunately, perhaps, not go down to the extent that it should have gone down. But, you know, there's time. Sumera admits it's not been easy being a crusader against noise pollution. She's filed complaints against leaders like Shiv Sena founder Bal Thakre over his rallies that obviously resulted in threats and criticism. I asked her about how she handled that and how it had affected her. I think targeting people is really a sign of weakness, because it it means that you think that by demolishing one person, you're demolishing an issue. But it doesn't work like that. Because, and that's why the importance of any movement is that people have to support it. And so while there are always two sides to any coin, some people are for, some people understood almost immediately that I'm not talking of any kind of polarizing religion or culture, nothing of the kind. I'm talking of health. 
Um, others did not. But the real measure of success is if you can get people who were your opposition and your staunchest, uh, for want of a better word, critics or even enemies, come round and say, no, you were right, at least to some degree. It, it takes a long time, you know. It's not going to happen overnight. Nothing happens overnight. But if even a little bit people come forward and say, no, we understand now that you were right, I think that's the measure of success. And that has happened. It is happening. If I thought at that time, which I hope I didn't, you know, in hindsight, if I thought that I was going to go out there and tell people all of you are wrong and I'm right, I think that's a tactic which is doomed to failure. I don't think I have ever retaliated in kind. I have never turned around and said, no, it's actually, you're the bad guys, I'm the good guy. I have never, never, never said that. And I think there's a value to respecting another point of view and taking incremental steps to figure out how to meet in the middle. It's easy to generalize based on people's names. You know, my name is Sumaira Abdulali, so people can come up with their own theories. But, you know, those are just theories. They're, they are not based on, in fact. I think in the beginning, I didn't expect it at all. It was a shock to me that there would be this thought even in people's minds. And it hurts you at times because people say things which you don't really want or like, and you know for yourself, you don't believe them to be true. But I think, again, there's a huge value in being open to criticism. And if you're not open to criticism again, and this is something that doesn't happen overnight, you know, it's a process, it's a very difficult self-learning <laughs> process, which I'm not pretending was easy, it wasn't. But you also learn so much yourself that it's a, it's a growth process. So I, I don't regret it. I, I have felt hurt, but I don't regret it because I think that if I were to turn around and look at it, put myself in the other person's shoes, and look at myself, how would I feel then? Things don't always look the same from a different person's perspective. I say the same for the politicians of today who are busy tearing each other apart, you know, that maybe there's a value in looking a little bit deeper and thinking, what are you doing? And ultimately, every action that you take changes many things around you, society, other people, do we kind of believe that it's part of our ethos and therefore we should have it? Or is it that we don't realize that there is this health component to it? Well, I think a bit of both. If we look traditionally into very ancient history, something like firecrackers, for example, originated as an exploding bamboo because it made some noise. And it was like, you're making a statement. You're saying that I'm here. There's something for me to say. Noise has a particular value and a use. And anything in this world comes about because it's in some way in its original form has been useful. The question is, when you take it to an extreme, but there is an optimum level, just like there is for just about everything that we enjoy. Um, so noise too has an optimum level. And because of technology, we have continued to, ex to exceed that level. But what we haven't realized when you talk of health is that for something like noise, when you exceed an optimum level, 
your body gets used to it not because it's used to it and comfortable with it it gets used to it because you lose your hearing physically not only do you then become habituated to that high noise level you actually can't function at a lower noise level because you can't hear it's a perception change it's a behavioral change and because it's kind of people don't understand this is why we are facing these problems that they're finding ways to justify it this is traditional but what is traditional loudspeakers were invented when they were not used for religious practices until the early 1900s and even then they were so expensive and they were so new that not everyone even accepted them as being uh, something that could be used in the last 100 years we believe this has always been the tradition not only has it not always been the tradition technology of 100 years ago today is completely obsolete and we don't even need to use it anymore political rallies can be conducted and have been conducted during lockdown using without using loudspeakers at all they have been as successful as before they have not disturbed other people they have reached their targeted audiences it's a wonderful prototype um so that gives me to understand that many other religious messages can be used like this in other parts of the world in the us the churches use dedicated networks and tv channels in countries like saudi arabia um the decibel level and the restrictions on loudspeakers are quite severe firecrackers when you come to firecrackers there is hardly any countries in the world which allow every each and every person to just go out and buy any cracker of his choice and burst it there are so many fallouts of that we have no shortage of ingenuity i'm hoping that these young people who who understand better than the older people i think will come forward and will start uh, taking greater leadership roles which will innovate and not follow blindly what my generation is doing i would like to really appeal of course to people to to complain use the free app that we have recently um released with the police it's a, developed by a government agency the police have accepted that you can make complaints all that but i would also appeal to the politicians who are currently involved in in um, finding some way of of politicizing and using this issue uh, to to for their own own reasons to come back to this and understand that it's not just the people whom you are saying pehle aap to it's you yourself if you make the noise you are closest to the loudspeaker if you burst the cracker you're at risk before your neighbor is if you're the one who's doing it you are the one who's harming yourself first like you said the loudspeakers now become this incredibly political tool how do you view this sort of politicizing of the loudspeaker where you have say one government that's being bipartisan and saying okay we'll take it off every structure which is something on the lines of what you've spoken of in the past how do you view this entire politicization of this one device i'm confused myself there's so much back and forth every time you look at it it's different so i don't know where we are right now but i what i do feel is that they have understood and experienced 
the fact that it's this very, very, very important issue which resonates with people. And I really hope that these kind of spurks and sparks are just part of the game. We have followed already a 20 year long road and that it can't be all smooth sailing, right? And it hasn't been all smooth sailing. So this is one of those kind of things which have happened along the way. And that the long-term effect of it is that people will remember that noise is a huge important issue and that they will come back to their more moderate senses and realize that it's something that we have to take care of in the interest of all of us. That's what I really hope. Finally, ma'am, I just have to ask, do you get any special privileges because of who you are? Is your area quieter because of who you are? I'm very militant about it in my area. <laughs> I think I'm not saying that as a privilege in a negative sense. People have called and made all kinds of complaints, but many, many people call and say, Madam, this noise is going on, come and stop it. And you know what, the thing that I want to tell them is not out of meanness or not wanting to do something. I want you to know that you can do it yourself. And I want to demonstrate that. I mean, people say funny things. They say things like, I'm a senior citizen. You know, I can't do anything. And I say, well, I, you know, I'm nearly 61 myself. So I don't understand what the problem is. The second thing people will say is that I'm all alone. What can I do? And I say, well, I'm alone too in that sense, you know. But if I can do it in my neighborhood, you can do it in yours. And here's how. And not just from my experience, I found amazing people along the way who have done things which I could never have done and taught me. Um, and I'm learning from their experiences too. So when I say I've been militant in my own area, in my building, everyone knows that you cannot honk to open the gate and nobody does. Um, not only in my building, but in the building surrounding. And when somebody honks, you know, there's a visitor and I'm not having the watchmen all know that they have to tell them off. Today's episode was produced by Jairaj Singh, Sunai Marathe and Anuja Singh. For a daily spotlight on people, ideas and stories that matter, subscribe to us. We're available on TY+, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts and all other platforms of your choice. For any news tips, email us at tuipodcast at timesinternet.in.